We are continuing our study of Second Peter, and we're, we're toward the end of that book. And actually, uh, I want to say one thing before we, before we start there. Um, I asked prayer for, for the folks I work with in counseling during the week, but I also want to say this. I, I wish all of you could be a fly on the wall in that room and uh, see how many times someone uh, does reach a point of healing in their life and, and see how many times uh, a husband and wife that started out saying it was hopeless are now praying together and working together in a marriage that's going to survive. Um, so those moments are wonderful, and your prayers are, are a significant part of that process. So I'm, I'm glad there's plenty of those moments, too. Well, here we are in Second Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to go back and read a portion we've already touched on in order to get a complete thought here. Starting in verse 14, 2 Peter chapter 3. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, the things he's been describing about uh, the final end of all things in God's eternal kingdom, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures, to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And, and Paul is, <laughs> I'm sorry, Peter is laying out here uh, some contrasts and some cautions and some challenges and encouragements. And we're going to, we're going to go through about three passages today if we're, if we're able to. And notice the, the contrasts that were being cautioned, things were being cautioned to avoid, and things that were, were being challenged to pursue as we handled the Word of God. Uh, first of all, how many people here would agree that there are things in the writings of Paul that are sometimes challenging to understand? Okay, that means you read the Bible. Um, so the fact that things are challenging or difficult to understand is not a problem. And, and I hope we get that. I hope we comprehend that. That the fact that things are challenging, the things, things need to be figured out, things need to be worked through, things need to be prayed, things may need to be studied. Some questions or dilemmas or, or confusions or uncertainties we have in the Word of God may be years of study to come to a peaceful understanding. And that those years of study to gain that peaceful understanding are worth it. So there is no sense in which Peter is saying godly people will never be confused. Godly people will always figure it out the first time. But he's giving us some cautions about the fact that when we're, whether it's Paul, whether it's John, whether it's Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you know, it doesn't matter who or what portion of the Bible we're reading that we would recognize peacefully. 
Father, I get this. You and I are going to hit some passages that are difficult to understand, but we're in a loving father-son, father-daughter conversation, so we're going to work it through. That a love relationship means you don't walk away when something's confusing or difficult, or none of us would be married. You stick with it. None of us would have any friendships. You stick with it. So that recognition that if it's worth doing, it's worth getting through the difficulties and the confusions and the misunderstandings. And that's part of what Paul, I'm sorry, that's part of what Peter is challenging us. We'll get to Paul. Part of what Peter is challenging us in this passage is the fact that it was difficult for these people to understand. That was not the problem. It's what they did it. And, and we'll look at this again through a number of passages. I'm going to try to find a darker pen. So we're going to keep bumping into this equation. Not this, but this. And so here in this passage, he's saying when we hit the difficult things in Scripture, when we hit things that are difficult to comprehend or understand, that we not distort. And if we were just, if we were going to just look at all the ways we can distort the Word of God, we would be here for hours. But the recognition that the Word of God, much of the Word of God, a whole, in fact, I would say the vast majority of the Word of God can be understood by an immediate surface reading. Now, we still have a challenge of, do I believe what I'm reading? But the majority of the Word of God can be taken at face value as soon as we read it. That the language of Scripture is clear enough in most instances that when God says something, we now have a decision of faith or not faith, but the meaning is clear. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no one comes to the Father but through me in John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is real clearly said. And we could find, actually, we could find about another 40 or 50 passages throughout the New Testament that make that same claim just as clearly. And now I can say, I'm going to work on believing that, or I've decided to not believe it. But I know what it means. But there's a whole bunch of other passages that particularly when we contrast passage to passage where we can say, well, this portion seems to mean this, but this other thing I'm reading seems to mean that. So they seem contradictory on their initial reading. And again, many passages that can seem contradictory on their initial simple reading that God would say, stick with that. Don't throw it out. Stick with that challenge. Keep going deeper into understanding what each one means. Keep going deeper into understanding my character and how I would speak each of those things in a way that, that fits together with my character. So that challenge was what some of these men and women were, were skipping. They were saying, you know what? That, that difficult passage, that hard-to-understand passage... I don't want to put in those times and those, those maybe even hours and weeks or even years of prayer and grappling with it. So I'm going to just come up with a comfortable meaning for me. I'm going to come up with a way of interpreting this, and I may have to throw out a few passages. 
So one of the basic, uh, most of you remember this, the word hermeneutics, I don't want to get too technical on that. Hermeneutics just means what are the principles of interpreting a passage? So I could go and, and I could read Freud, or I could read uh, Shakespeare, or I could read uh, Leo Tolstoy. I could go read any of them, and one way or another, I bring some process of interpretation to what I'm reading. That's my hermeneutics. But when we're applying the hermeneutics of interpretation to Scripture, one of, one of the basic principles of Scripture is I don't pick one difficult passage Come up with a meaning that I think it might mean or that I like for it to mean. And then throw out a bunch of other clearly spoken passages that don't, don't agree with my interpretation. If this is the word of God, eventually it all has to fit together. There is nothing I have to throw out. There is nothing you have to throw out. And, and I, I hope you take that very seriously That in your personal Bible study. As you grapple with scripture... That if you come to something that doesn't make sense to you, that you don't feel that in order to be a good Christian, you just pretend that that contradiction or confusion doesn't exist. Go ahead and write it down. Take it seriously, but now take it seriously enough to say, I want to go start talking this passage or, or these two passages or these seven passages that don't make sense to me. I want to take them to someone who's knowledgeable of the Word, someone who loves God, loves the Word of God, who might be able to help me start thinking through how all this fits together. But take the challenge seriously. It, it, does not, it does not elevate God or elevate our faith to ignore or pretend away a confusion or a difficult passage. It also doesn't elevate God or elevate our faith if we feel obligated to come to a fast interpretation just to say we're done. We get to grapple with it. Some things quickly, some things slowly. But he was saying, don't distort. Don't bend the meaning of Scripture. And he also makes it real clear, because when they do this, they're aiming for their own destruction. The Word of God properly interpreted, and passage after passage says this, the Word of God is life for us. It's encouragement for us. It's nourishment for us. But God's also giving us this caution. If I twist the word of God out of its meaning, it will end up becoming destructive for me. And that's true with all kinds of things in life. I can take a good thing and bend it out of its purpose and it becomes destructive. Even the word of God, misinterpreted and misapplied, can become destructive. But he says, here's what you get to do instead. So, also, not carried away by evil, I mean by error, but instead what you do is you grow. And he focuses on two things, grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and this challenge all through the New Testament occurs over and over and over again. If you and I are going to grow as believers, one of the central core beliefs is comprehending the grace of God. 
And comprehending the grace of God includes comprehending the incredible price that was paid for that grace. So that God is not just saying, you know what, I love you guys so much, I'm going to act like you didn't sin. You know, I'm such a nice old guy, we're going to pretend that bad stuff did not happen. That is not where the grace of God flows from. That he takes our sins so seriously, and this is hard to comprehend maybe, but he does. He takes our sins so seriously that he said, this violates my holiness and my righteousness so deeply that someone must die for your sin. And then he says, but because I love you, I have made my own son the sacrificial Passover lamb, and now the angel of death passes over you, just as as the angel of death passed over the Jews in, in Egypt. Because they put the blood of that sacrificial lamb on the lentil, on the doorposts of their of their homes, and that that blood of the sacrificial Passover lamb was the mark of covenant between the Jews and God. And he said, you mark your heart, you mark your home as belonging to me, and you're covered. And now he says, Jesus Christ, my son, is that ultimate Passover lamb. You mark yourself by my son's blood, and my my judgment passes over you because I poured it on him. So this grace means free gift. Most of you know that. I don't know if you'll be able to see my tiny writing. Free gift. But it was expensive for him to purchase the free gift that is given to us. And we get to comprehend that grace. But there's another layer to this. If I'm going to comprehend the grace of God, that also means I start to comprehend the role I play in expressing and being an embodiment of the grace of God into your life. And that you and I each grow in being the embodiment of the grace of God into each other's lives and into the lives of unbelievers. That comprehending grace doesn't mean I just say thank you for the gift. I'm keeping this a secret for me. It means I comprehend that I received this gift and now the next smartest thing for me to do after saying thank you, I accept that, is to say, who can I share this with? And not just the gospel, although that's crucial, that's at the core of it, but how do I operate in grace so that I look like the character of God toward others? I look look like the character of God toward others who love me and are kind and are friendly and, and nourish me and encourage me and sustain me, but I also grow in comprehending the life and power of Jesus Christ equips me to be the grace of God to others who aren't loving, aren't kind, aren't accepting, aren't supportive, that I grow in comprehending this grace. And he also says I grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it's not just any kind of knowledge. It's the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we have several other passages that make it clear that we grow in the true knowledge. So that again, I'm not free to come up with my own version of Jesus that I like. And our culture is full of versions of Jesus that somebody liked that are not the biblical New Testament version of Jesus. So that Jesus gets to present himself. So one of the things that I I have bumped into numerous times in, in counseling with families 
is where a husband or a wife or a child uh, has this sense of this person claims to love me, but they're not accepting me for who I am. They have some imaginary version of who I'm supposed to be, and either they're pretending I'm that version, or they're making it clear they won't love me till I am that version. And in a, in a genuine family of love, part of the wisdom we have is to say, you know what, I don't have to approve of everything in my child's life. I am obligated to love my child unconditionally. I don't have to approve of every attitude or choice or decision that Carrie makes, but I'm absolutely called and equipped, powerfully commanded to love her unconditionally. Now we have here in this love relationship with Jesus, where Jesus is the one saying, please accept me for who I really am. Come to believe in me for who I really am. Don't try to distort and bend me to make a version of me that you like or that doesn't require you to change. Let me be the full Jesus Christ I've, received, I've revealed myself to be. And then love me for who I really am. Trust in me for who, I've, who I really am and what I've really accomplished for you. And, and again, that's life for us to get to know that Jesus Christ. Uh, I've had numerous Christians through the years that say, you know what, I've been a believer for X number of years, and I don't feel like I have a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a challenge. That's, that's a call for growth. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Don't get scared. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this. But I think that's a legitimate question to ponder is, do I love Jesus Christ? Do I comprehend who he is and love him for who he is? Not because my comprehension's perfect, but I keep growing to see more and more of who he is, and I love more and more who he really is. Because then part of the challenge for me, part of the challenge for you is that I need to get to know Jesus personally. That might involve a lot of reading. Um, some people love to read. Most people struggle with reading. I, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was something like once people graduate from college, I think it was, I'm making this up because I don't remember exactly, but something like this, like only 15% of college graduates will actually read a full book after they graduate the rest of their life. Somebody get, don't Google it during the sermon. <laughs> So if your I know yours is, if your phone's on it, better be on a Bible app. But but Google it when you want on your own time. But a huge percentage of college-educated people that do not keep reading. And one of the things I would say, if you're someone who struggles with reading, you do not have to sit down and read the Bible three hours at a time. You get to read it in five-minute chunks or two-minute chunks excuse me, two-minute chunks, 20-minute chunks. You get to read it in chunks, but keep reading. Keep digging. So it's not a marathon. This is a lifelong journey of getting to know Jesus Christ in Scripture and getting to know the truth of God through Scripture. It's a lifelong journey. You don't have to be a copy of someone else. Be yourself on a persistent journey of exploring the Word of God. Um, one of the most common things when I'm, when I'm struggling uh, or working with a couple or an individual who's struggling 
and we look at where their life is spiritually, and, and I think I already mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say, well, you know, how are things going with your time in the Word? What do you mean? Where it will be someone who's been an actual believer, genuinely put their faith in Jesus Christ, never reads or studies the Word of God on their own. Now, I don't know if there's anybody in the room who falls under that umbrella, but it's real simple to change that. Just start. Start. Just go there. Where you can say, you know what? I do a multitude of things, and, and all through the day, I give a variety of time and energy to many things. I'm going to give just a few minutes to the Word of God so that I can start getting to really know Jesus at a deeper, more personal level. And then when I hit something difficult, then I'm going to go into higher gear and I'm going to grapple with that. And I'm going to ask questions I'm going to, and I'm going to talk to people. And I'm going to look up resources so that I keep moving forward in both understanding that grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ personally. Now, what's interesting is this passage here. i to find out where I hid the marker. He also says this a little bit earlier, to be found in peace, spotless, and blameless. So he's talking about an overall mindset that says, you know, part of my growing father is that I learn to comprehend that I am at peace with God. We've talked about this numerous times. The war with God, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the war with God is over. We sang that this morning. The war with God is over. That now I am at peace with God and He is at peace with me, not because I'm perfect, not because I'm sinless, not because in myself I look holy, but because I'm now in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ, my sins are paid for. In Jesus Christ, I have a position beside the Father that allows me this father-son or father-daughter love relationship where I'm safe with God. But he also challenges me to keep growing and maturing into the character of God so that, again, we talked about this in Sunday school, that I do not see my faith or salvation in Christ as just fire insurance, but I see it as this equipping and calling to keep growing in the character of God. So some people might go to the Word of God to distort it. You and I get to go to the Word of God to challenge us to keep growing in this. I want to go also to the passage that was read earlier this, uh, that Annie read for us in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And a lot of things out of that passage I would like to add, but let's drop down to verse 14. Paul, writing to Timothy, says this, and, and Timothy was a pastor, so he's passing on to Timothy things that he's challenging Timothy to remind his congregation and, and disciple and nourish his congregation. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 14, remind them of these things, things he's already talked about, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless, leads to the ruin of hearers. But be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Boy, avoid worldly and empty chatter, 
for it will lead to further ungodliness. So he's saying here, not this, is don't wrangle about words. And don't, don't just pursue worldly chatter. But the contrast he's making here with, with the wrangle about words, the contrast is accurately handle the word of God. Accurately handle the word. Which again means I get to learn how to interpret the word of God. How many here... No, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But, but I'll ask it rhetorically for your own inner awareness. How many here would say, I think I'm pretty good at, at accurately interpreting the Word of God? And I hope, I'm serious, I hope many of you would say yes. Now, if I said, how many of you here are perfect at it? I hope none of you would say yes. That we're all still students growing but that as we mature as believers, as we spend time studying the Word of God, we get to get better and better at interpreting it, particularly when, and, and many of you have experienced this, that when you study something in the Old Testament, and then you study something in the New Testament, or you study something in, in the Gospels, and then you study something in one of Paul's letters, or John or Peter's letters, and you suddenly see how things connect. And you suddenly see how your understanding of this just got better and stronger or more accurate because of what this other passage said. That should be a normal part of you and I being in the Word of God, that the Word of God itself feeds back in and gives us a more accurate understanding of other passages, other pieces. And it doesn't mean we were wrong, although sometimes we are. And sometimes our, our interpretation gets corrected by the next thing we study. That I would show him. How many people here would say that in your study of the Word of God, you had a moment of, of amazement or suddenly catching yourself recognizing that thing I just read improved or strengthened or corrected something else in the Word of God that I didn't understand very well before? Okay. Almost every hand went up. So that recognition that the Word of God is one of the best ways to train us to keep going deeper in, into understanding accurately the Word of God. But again, he's saying, don't wrangle about words. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, that word, both in the Greek, but also the reason it was interpreted into that, into that word uh, for English, it's about a fight. So have you ever wrangled anything, Seth? What did you wrangle? A calf, yeah. Was it a nice, peaceful interchange? No, it was not a nice, peaceful interchange. And many of you have wrangled many things in your life. And he's saying, don't bring that mindset to discussing the Word of God with other people. So that we get to recognize believers can disagree about what a passage means. Believers, people who love the Word of God, love God Himself, truly love and desire to honor Jesus Christ, can have a disagreement about words or passages or teaching. And that what we can trust in is, Father, if this person really desires to know the truth, and I really desire to know the truth, we get to have an honest conversation through these disagreements. We get to bring reasons why I see it this way and reasons why I say it that way that are about word meanings. 
They're not about how I was raised or what I like or how you were raised or what you like. They're about meanings that we can grapple together with meanings, but we don't wrangle and fight over words because we have a peaceful trust together in the, the fact that God has meanings that together we can come to understand. And again, that might be process of years. Um, here's what wrangling sort of looks like, or at least one example. I remember reading uh, a series of articles many, year, many, many years ago. And it was on the question of Jesus' return for, the, for believers. So the, the, the word used for that is the rapture. Um, and, and Scripture doesn't use the word rapture, but it talks about that moment. And it talks about it joyfully and triumphantly of when Jesus returns. And you know what? Many believers have disagreed about the timing and the sequence of events for that. I would be confident that in this room, there, there are at least two or three or four or 17 different interpretations of how the sequence of events might transpire in the final days. So here we all are loving and worshiping God, loving and worshiping a, a living Savior, and loving and caring for each other while we have that disagreement. But then if it came up in a conversation, we could wrangle over it. And we could get angry that you don't agree with me, and you could get angry that I don't agree with you. And, and rather than saying, you know what, let's peacefully pray and keep working through the Word of God and see if we can come to a shared understanding, that it becomes a fight. And that's what he's saying. Don't you dare, as sons and daughters of the living God, don't you take the Word of God and make it an excuse to wrangle with others in the body of Christ. Don't you dare do that. That is the last thing we should do with the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't get to be passionate about defending the truth of Scripture. Because again, he's already warned us, don't become part of the group that distorts it. And don't put up with that distortion. But don't you be the one who gets in a fight with believers, genuine believers, who are grappling to understand something and, and do not yet have not yet come to the wise, finished, mature conclusions that you have reached. That there's a peacefulness to this. Actually, go to, still there in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He does this in verse 23. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. By the way, I, I had a husband and wife just a few weeks ago get into a real argument, a, a heated, you know, sweating argument in the office about whether a certain thing would be true in heaven. I'm not kidding. Because he had one vision of how things might be. She had another vision of how things might be. And they argued over it. And when it says... Ignorant speculations. Neither one of them has been there yet. <laughs> Only one person has truly gone there and come back. And yet they had a fight about their speculations. And to be able to say, you know what? Peacefully, you might be right. Now, I'm inclined to, to expect this. I'm inclined to believe that. But since I don't have any any. Scripture, I don't have anything from the Word of God that definitively says so. We're free to
to not waste a lot of time and energy fighting about that speculation. But he goes on, refuse foolish, ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So that our gentleness in the middle of a declaration, I mean, in the middle of a true disagreement, a passionate disagreement, our gentleness has supernatural power that our anger and our, and our quarreling, wrangling mindset will never accomplish. How many people here, this is a, a show of hands thing, how many people here would say somebody angered you into repentance? They were angry at you and it led you to repentance. Okay? One, two, okay, three, four, okay. So I would actually want to hear some of those stories because I bet the anger was about something that actually cared about you that someone cared about your outcome and they were angry at something. But we could get into that details. But what he's saying is here in the body of Christ, that's not our method of correcting someone. Here in the body of Christ, that's not our method of correcting someone's doctrine is that we get angry at them. And so this is a challenge for us that I have the mindset that I am passionate about the truth. And, and actually, here, here in 2 Timothy, just turn over to chapter 4, where he says this, starting in verse 1 and 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repro reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So the same book where Paul is writing us, don't do this. He's saying, but when it comes to the, to the truth, do not back down from the truth. This is not about giving away the truth. This is not about watering down the truth. This is not about giving into myths or preferences in, in place of the truth. So he's the same one who says reprove and rebuke. And that reprove, I can hardly say the words, reprove and rebuke are about addressing sin. So if you guys see sin in my life, I'm serious. Somebody should approach me and say so. Out of love. Not out of anger because you think you're better than me, but if you see sin in my life, that you love me and care about me enough that you would say, Reg, we need to talk about this. This is not okay. It's destructive. And that I would do the same in your life and we would do the same in each other's life. That's the and rebuke. But if you and I interpret a Bible passage different, then I get to say, you know what? We're both after the same thing. We love the Word of God. We love Jesus Christ. And we, neither one of us have yet reached perfect understanding of the Word. 
So let's keep gracefully talking and exploring and pondering these things. We're going to go ahead and end there because supper already started. But let's pray together. Father, you call us to represent your grace. And you also call us to love the truth without apology. To speak the truth in love. And then, Father, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. That the truth gets lived out through our values, our choices. And, Father, that we so love the truth of Jesus Christ that we are eager to make sure others know the good news. That Jesus died for our sins so that no one has to stand in front of God as their judge. Everyone is offered this possibility to spend eternity with God as our Father because your son's sacrifice was sufficient, powerful, and effective. Father, I thank you that you're patient with us while we grapple with your word. And I pray that we would have a passion to understand your word, a passion to know Jesus Christ, to comprehend who Jesus really is, to comprehend the heart of Jesus, and more and more to build a genuine love relationship with Jesus. Jesus, the living God, our living Savior, not just a historical guy from 2,000 years ago, but Jesus dwelling in us right now. Father, thank you that you're very patient with us. And we see that in your word over and over again. Father, in Moses' life, in David's life, in Peter's life, we see the incredible grace and patience while your children sinned, while your children stumbled. And Father, you never backed down from the truth of your calling in their life. But you kept extending grace. You kept extending the next opportunity to grow with you. Father, help us to choose that constant next opportunity of growing with you. Give us wisdom as we overcome our natural human tendency to get angry and defensive when someone doesn't agree. That we recognize we love the truth and our heart's longing is for them to know the truth. To know the truth. And Father, your word says this, to know truth is to know you. Apart from you, there is no living truth. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.